Good morning, everybody. If you can uh, find your way back to your seats. Let me add my welcome as well. Um, my name is Greg. I'm here. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Community Church. And we are continuing in our series on the book of Daniel. And uh, our series name is Daniel Faithful in Babylon. And you know, as we as kind of we reflect on on this book, you know, there's obviously there's applications for us as Christians. Um, in 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he conquered the Jewish nation. He conquered Jerusalem, and they took the people and they took them a long, long, long distance away from their homeland, from their culture, from their people, from their language. And among them were three young. Uh, Teenagers, probably, who were royalty, probably educated, very well educated, and uh, in, in every way, Lord, that you would you would think of these people as being really commendable people. These these young men were trained in the culture, the religion, the ways of the Babylonians, and they were expected to to be a part of that community, to enter into their religion, enter into their ways, and to be productive helpers to their kingdom purposes. And as we've seen. Daniel, and as we have seen Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were unique men in the sense of their passions for God, in spite of the fact that they were so young, in spite of the fact that they were still in this community. And so as we think about our series, uh, Faithful in Babylon, we can, we're going to reflect on that very specifically today with a very familiar text on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fiery furnace. So I know that most of you probably have heard this account before, but I think we're going to ask God to, to really show us how they got there, uh, show us about their lives that we can follow and imitate, and especially to show us their God. So he will stir our hearts to courage and, and great deeds. The big idea for our message today is oppressed exiles must faithful remain, trusting un, the unrivaled God who vindicates his name. Oppressed exiles must faithful remain, trusting the unrivaled God who vindicates his name. So if you'll join me, we'll pray together. Lord, the difficulty for some of us is that when we hear familiar text, we kind of think back to the stories that we had growing up in, uh, in our Sunday school or church experiences. And yet, Lord, you have left these accounts there for us who are believers, for us as we grow older, for us as circumstances bring need for application in our lives. And so, Lord, would you... Would you open our hearts freshly to hear from you? Would you stir our faith? Would you stir courage in us, Lord, that the good work of your truth and your word would have its effect in our lives? Lord, show us who you are. Help us to see that you are bigger than we could have ever imagined. You're greater than any circumstance that we face. You are a great God, and you will vindicate your name. So, Lord, prepare us now as we look into your word together. Help me to share your word truthfully, clearly, in a way that 
serves your people whom you love so much. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're coming to Daniel chapter 3. If you have a Bible, you can open it. Uh, The verses will be up on the screen so you can follow along. So Daniel and uh, has, we've seen God dealing with Daniel. We'll see more of him in in the chapters to him. This chapter is actually focused on three of his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Three Jewish friends whose names were changed to direct them towards worship of other gods. And we're going to look at three points related to them. The first point is exiles bullied. Exiles bullied. And if you look with me, we'll start in verse 1. It says this, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, and the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, And all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, Nebuchadnezzar had had a dream, as we saw in a previous chapter. And it started off at the very top with a gold image of the the head. And Nebuchadnezzar was told, "This this is your kingdom. This is who you are. And then it walked through various levels down that body till it got to the feet. And there were various kingdoms that came after him. Kingdoms that had destroyed his kingdom and kingdoms that followed. But this image was only made of gold. It was entirely gold. Not gold, silver, bronze, iron, and clay. Perhaps this is a rejection of Daniel's interpretation. Perhaps he thought that he could thwart the coming kingdoms and just have his own gold kingdom. The image revealed an attitude of invincibility and delusion. If we were to convert, you know, this to our kind of knowledge of of, uh, feet, and this would be like 90 feet tall, and about nine feet wide. And it was placed in this uh, large plain of Dura. So when you saw this image, because the plain was so flat, it would be, you would be, you could be miles and miles and miles and miles and miles away, and you were reminded, this is the God you serve. This is the kingdom that you belong to. And the fiery furnace that was created in order to make this gold image was also going to have purposes as well for destruction, as we shall see. So we pick it up in verse 4. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, 
You are to fall down and worship the golden image that the king Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. I mean, this is the largest empire probably that had ever existed. Taking in nations, taking in people groups, along with their religions, their customs. And this was a bullying opportunity for him to make everyone unite under his kingdom, under his ways, under his God, forcing people to not only pay tribute and be a part of his kingdom, but actually to be a worshiper of his kingdom. But we move from that to see how this tested the loyalty of these Jewish young men. Starting in verse 8, it says this. Therefore, at the time, certain Chaldeans, this, these are the Babylonians, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden idol that you have set up. You know, Nebuchadnezzar was quite a ruthless and arrogant leader, as we had seen in previous chapters. And these accusations made by the Babylonian leaders were probably out of jealousy, partly out of a desire and hatred for the Jews, with a desire to destroy the Jewish, the Jewish people, probably. And they played on Nebuchadnezzar's pride, like this is, these are the people that you chose, but they have all chosen not to follow you. And they don't worship what you worship. And so what are you gonna do about that? You see, Daniel's last promotion that we saw in the last chapter was about 20, now 23 years later. A lot of times when we read through the book of Daniel, we don't realize how far apart these events are. So Daniel had been elevated to the top guy over the whole kingdom, and he had already appointed Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego to be subordinate governors of various districts. But after 23 years and much prosperity, Nebuchadnezzar had become quite dull in his concern about the Hebrew God. 23 years of defeating other uh, nations. 23 years of having the plunder of all those people come in. 23 years of recogni being recognized and having everyone 
worship and glorify and honor and look to him. Much prosperity had been experienced by the empire. Evidently, without probably asking his next in command, Daniel, he proposed to force everyone, not only under his government and under his ways, but also under his religion. And actually a religion that would honor him as well. He compelled them to submit to him. He was resolute that they should leave their gods. They should leave that one, uh, those gods that they truly loved and wanted to follow. And they must all now bow to him and bow to his will and bow to his God. You might be thinking like, what, where's Daniel in all this time? You know, you got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and where, where's, where's Daniel? And we don't know because the scripture really doesn't tell us, but here's some possibilities that probably could have happened. Perhaps, perhaps Daniel was there and King Nebuchadnezzar was already giving him a pass. More likely, more likely than that, Daniel, you know, had made his point, his, his point that he was not going to be a part of that, and he was sent on some kind of a journey, some official business far away so he wouldn't be there during that time. But Daniel not being there, he did have, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And for the Jews, loyalty was being tested. You see, Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 to 5 are familiar to us. It's where we get our Ten Commandments. And it says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness that is in heaven or on earth or beneath or in the water below under the earth. You shall not worship them nor serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. And so it's clear to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was probably clear to the Jews, we can't do this. We can't bow down to their gods. We can't serve them and we can't worship them. We can't recognize them. Verse 13, then Nebuchadnezzar in a furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? What arrogance. It says that he was in furious rage. You know, he makes a point to really show how angry he is in this thing because these had been loyal uh, governors for him. 
And as I said, probably in his conscience, he already knew he was letting Daniel off the hook. So it's probably that he, you know, was, was looking at this situation and especially angry that he had to deal with them as well. And so he used his intimidation to test their loyalty. The time period was to submit now to Nebuchadnezzar's power. He wanted universal obedience. He wanted homage for himself. This disobedience would threaten him. He had, he had really had two choices at this time. He could kind of let the Jews have their own way and just worship their one God. So he could make an exception, but that would undermine everything he was doing here to try and bring everybody under his rule and his reign and loyalty to him and his gods. But if the Jews would bow, and especially his leaders would bow, these governors, these righteous Jews, if they would bow to him, that would only bring a greater fear to all the other religions and all the other leaders and all the other people because they would see, no, he really means business. He's going to, he's going to destroy us. He's going to, to put us in the fiery furnace as well. So he was hoping that actually this might probably work out for his good. But notice in his last statement there in that, in that section, it says, who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? 23 years had gone past. That's a long time. Think about 23 years ago and what our nation was like 23 years ago, 30 or 40 years ago. And there's a slow eroding fear of God to the point now where he's ready to mock the God he saw do supernatural things. I'm reminded of Pharaoh to Moses in Exodus chapter five, verse two. And Moses was telling him, let my people go. And Moses said, said, you know, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh said to Moses, who is Jehovah that I should obey his voice and let you go? And we know that he destroyed Egypt and especially their armies. I think in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 35, Sennacherib uh, was like this high general of the Babylonian empire and he had destroyed many, many nations in the process and he was speaking to Hezekiah in Jerusalem, and he said this. He said, who are they among all the gods of all the countries that, I have, de that, that have delivered their country out of my hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? He just mocked God. All these other nations, they said their God would deliver them, but they never did. I destroyed them all. And your God is going to be just like that. He will not destroy. He will not win. He will not have a victory here. And Sennacherib, through a change, a miraculous change by God of circumstances, was led back um, with a hook in his nose back to his home, and there he was destroyed by his own sons. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But 
If not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I love this, guys. I love these guys. Would you like to be on a team with them? You know, we are, but I love these guys. These are great. He said, we don't need to answer you in this question. Now, why would he say that? Because you know we're we're not going to do what you just asked us to do. You, You know our lives. You know our track record. You know our devotion to God. You know how we've lived out our lives. You know who we worship. You know how we worship him. You know that we've never compromised before. You know our reputation. Why are you even giving us this other chance? Because you know, you know, we don't really need to answer this question, do we? And he said, okay, if this be so, that you're going to throw us in this furnace, if this is really the truth of what you're going to do, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us out of the fiery, out of the fiery furnace, and he will deliver us. They knew their God. They knew their God. Later on, it's going to say in chapter 11 of Daniel, it's going to say, those, who, those people who know their God display strength and take action. Do you know a God who's behind you so that you could speak like this? We don't need to tell you what we're going to do. You know, you know, you know who we are. And if you're really going to do this, just to let you know ahead of time, our God can deliver us from this, from this fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, if not, if he doesn't deliver us, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve our gods and worship the golden image that you have set up. To me, this is probably the most powerful insight to where these guys were in their, in their convictions. Because I think a lot of us are excited to serve a God who's always going to deliver us and give us the kind of the good life or the easy life or the deliverance of certain situations. We like thinking of ourselves as being safe in the sense of God's going to deliver us just like he did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But in their thinking, they knew that there are unique times where God does not deliver through the fire. And they were still loyal. Are, are we loyal to God when he doesn't give us what we like? Are, are we loyal to God that circumstances don't turn out the way we'd like them to turn out? that it seems like he allowed some bad things to happen in our lives? Are are you still loyal to God? Are are we loyal to God because he gives us what we need or want? Or are we loyal to God because he's worthy of our obedience? He's worthy of our worship. They had no guarantee that God would spare them. And I I love this verse in Romans chapter 8, a very familiar verse. 
Verse 35 to 37, it says this. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or trouble or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We were regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Do you see a victory even when we don't get what we deserve or, excuse me, what we like in the circumstances? Do you see the victory of God? You see, either God was going to spare them from death or he was going to, they were going to be delivered through death. Because if we're slaughtered, if we die, we have a great victory in front of us. We have a great future hope that no man can touch. Jesus, when speaking with his disciples, he gave this mark of discipleship in Mark chapter 8, verse 35. He said, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. You see, we're going to have to settle what loyalty to God looks like. We're going to have to come to a place where we say, I don't have any conditions on this loyalty to you, God. I know you love me. In fact, you know, these guys were saying, we already know he's going to deliver us. And we know he can do this. So I think the default for most situations is, yes, I think we do see God's salvation in many, many physical ways, in many, many ways that look, circumstances look very difficult. But can you say, even if he doesn't, I'm still going to worship him. I'm not going to worship your gods. I'm not going to follow your ways. Because if you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. That doesn't mean eternal, you're going to lose your eternal uh, salvation. But you will miss out. You will miss out on the life, the abundant life that God had for you. Had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego bowed down, I believe that they still would have been received to glory someday. But the life that they are, these men are having is because they were going to be supremely loyal to their God. And then thirdly, we see this, an, an amazing Savior, starting in verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. It seemed like 
Nebuchadnezzar won. I mean, he said, you're not going to be able to stop me from doing this. Your God won't stop me from doing this. It seemed like he was right. But then verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. I mean, this guy's angry face changed pretty quickly when he looked in there. Something supernatural, something miraculous, something divine was happening. He said, there's someone like the son of the gods who's walking around with these guys in the fire and their bonds are, are, are gone. Now, there's different thoughts on who this was. Most people would think this is the pre-incarnate Christ. This is Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, taking on flesh, so to speak, taking on a body even before Jesus was born in Bethlehem all those years later on. Most people would say that this is the pre-incarnate Christ or the angel of Yahweh. We don't know for sure, but clearly he was divine. You see, he was in there to save. He was in there to set them free. He was in there to protect them. He was there with them in the fire. He didn't spare them from the furnace, but he went there into the furnace with them. You know, there'll be times where you'll be spared and you won't go into the furnace. You won't go into the difficult trial or, or dangerous situation. God will keep you out of that situation. But sometimes he will be with you in the trial. He will be with you in the suffering. He will be with you in the persecution. He will be with you when you are bullied, when you are, it seems like you have no advocate. You have nobody to rescue. You have nobody there alongside of you. He said, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you in this situation. Charles Spurgeon said this, if it be true that you are willing thus to follow Christ, reckon upon deliverance. Nebuchadnezzar may put you into the fire, but he cannot keep you there, nor can he make the fire burn you. The enemy casts you in bond, but the fire will loosen your bonds. You will walk in liberty amid the glowing coals. You will gain by your losses. You will rise by your downcastings. Many prosperous men owe their present position to the fact that they were faithful when they were in humble employments. Do right for Christ's sake without considering any consequences, and the consequence will be right enough. If you take care of God's cause, God will take care of you. That's, that's, that's our banner. That's the banner that we need to take up. 
not second-guessing God's call on our life, not second-guessing you know, the resources and the people that we have to protect us, to provide for us. We just need to be about seeking first the kingdom of God and letting him take care of the rest. Verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselor gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over their bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire had come upon them. This last week, I was invited by one of my kids for a, a, a little bonfire at their house. And uh, we were cooking s'mores, and we were just hanging out together. And I intentionally did everything I could to get out of the way of any smoke that would be coming here, because I'm thinking, I know I'm going to stink like smoke, you know. And I sat as far away from that, and I came home, and I had to wash all my, I had to put all my clothes in the wash. Because I can't even be on the edge of a, of a, little, bon, a little fire without smelling like smoke. These guys were delivered completely. And he wanted not only Nebuchadnezzar, but all the other leaders of all the other nations to see what their God was doing. They wanted the whole nation. They wanted, it's like the whole, you know, great commission was pictured here that the, the, all these foreign leaders could see this is what our God is like. The bonds that they had on were gone. Any effect that this would have had on them was nullified. Deliverance thorough and total. Earthly kings can define, defy God, but they do it in vain. Psalm verse, excuse me, Psalm chapter two, verse four talks about how the kings of the earth they take their stand against the Lord and against his anointed. And it says in verse 4 that he laughs at them. All the nations are but dust on the scales, Isaiah says. Our God is an awesome Savior. He is a great God that we can trust. And ultimately, if our lives are taken, there is a bodily resurrection that we look forward to where we will have brand new bodies that are perfect. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, when Joseph was talking to his brothers who tried to sell him into slavery, he said, you meant this for evil, but God meant this for good. Your God is sovereign. Our God is sovereign over all the circumstances. There is not a king, there is not a government, there is not a ruler, there is not a nation, there is not a power that is greater than our God. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him, set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. I mean, I don't know how, who could give a better testimony than that. I mean, he told their testimony. Everything that happened, he's now declaring it. 
You know, Don said uh, that there's all these layers of what God is about in Daniel. And Nebuchadnezzar is in the center of these chapters. Because God has shown you that he is greater than Nebuchadnezzar and he is in the process of bringing this man to himself. He is in the process of humbling this guy. He is, he is humiliating this guy in front of all his leaders. And he is humbled. He probably hasn't believed yet, but he's definitely seen who he's up against and who these young men have in their corner. The one, the, the God that he now is professing. And he says in verse 29, therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego should be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. This is what, this is what God's about. God is looking for men and women who through their lives, through their loyalty, in spite of the fact that this is not our home yet, we're still exiles here, this country, this world will not be what God intends for us in eternity future. And so we, we live in enemy land, so to speak. And we have mission and our mission points to a great savior, an incredible savior, who proves himself over and over again through the scriptures, but especially he proves himself his victory over death at the cross. Because at the cross, he took on death. At the cross, he paid for our sin. At the cross, he made a way of salvation to those who put their trust in him for forgiveness of their sins, that they would be delivered from the greatest fiery furnace there is. The greatest fearful thing that we could ever be intimidated by. He has delivered us from that. This son of the God, you know, that he called him. This pre-incarnate Christ wanted to be seen, wanted to be acknowledged, and wanted to point to future, a future conquest, a future victory, when he would deliver us forever into his eternal kingdom. Charles Spurgeon said, here's another Charles Spurgeon quote. He said, if you stand up for Jesus and the right and the true and the pure and the temperate and the good, not only will you be delivered, but you will do a great good. This Nebuchadnezzar was a poor piece of goods. Yet he was compelled to acknowledge these three decided and holy men. He who does what he believes to be right and cannot be driven from it, that is a man. You cannot shake the world if you do not let the world shake you. But when the world finds that you have grit in you, 
they will let you alone. Nebuchadnezzar was obliged to feel the influence of these men. God's raising up young men, young women, middle-aged, and some of us older seniors, to not be afraid, to not be afraid. The book of Revelation talks about the end times and says, and they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb, the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not consider their life worthy to be not given. Are you afraid to speak up? Are you afraid to take a stand? Will you not be loyal to the, to the all-powerful, great God that we serve? And just, you know, just to, to show his, his abundant goodness and kindness and gratefulness, we have verse 30. To top off the miraculous rescue and salvation, it says, verse 30, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Every time he sees, this is the God they have, I want them on my team. I want them in my corner. I want their God not to hurt me. I'm going to promote these people. You see, our big idea is the oppressed exiles must faithful remain, trusting the unrivaled God who vindicates his name. God is going to vindicate himself. God will vindicate his name. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is the king of kings. It's going to happen, whether we're part of seeing that happen or not. And God recognizes that we are oppressed and we're in the minority and we probably will remain so the rest of our, the years until he comes. So we don't, we, don't, we don't fear because of that. We don't need to be afraid because of that. He will vindicate his name and he will remain faithful to us. Now in the closing minutes I got, I want to go through pretty briefly. You know, as a, as a, as a pastor who, who's worked quite a bit with missions, I, I've always had you know, soul-searching thoughts like, would I deny the Lord? Would I cower down? You know, would I be silent? Would I not speak up? Would I be willing to go to jail? Would I be willing to suffer? Would my, what about my family and all those things? And I've had to think through that much over the years. And so these are some of the things I feel like God would have me focus on and perhaps you focus on one or more of these as to prepare. How do we, how do we prepare for persecution? How do we prepare for the, how do we, how do we continue to build our souls and our minds and our hearts and our faith so that we will be courageous when the times come? So here's a few thoughts and I'll move through them fairly quickly. Cultivate faithfulness. These are six practices. And one verse you could think about for this, you know, is Psalm 37, verse 3. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. Live in the land and cultivate faithfulness. These are the years that we are cultivating faithfulness. So this is kind of like the banner over all these things. And so if you've been bullied or you will be bullied, you know, if your loyalty is being tested and you wonder, how can I prepare myself better? Here's some thoughts. Uh, by the way, one more verse to give you. 2 Timothy 3, 8, 
3.12, 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So that's your promise for today. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So get used to that thought. <laughs> Number one, be faithful in little things. Be faithful in little things. You know, none of us, I don't think, have faced a fiery furnace. Not really. You know, we face some difficulties and so forth. But there are, there are, there are daily choices. There are daily confrontations. There are circumstances in a class, in your classrooms. There are situations in conversations. And God would have us learn to grow in faithfulness by being faithful in the little things. It says in Luke 16, 10, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. You know, these guys said to, to uh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't have any need to answer you in this matter. They said that because they had been faithful. They had been faithful along the way. Secondly, hear the testimonies of courageous believers. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So as you hear the word of Christ, as you hold on to the word of Christ, your faith actually grows. Think about Romans 15, 4. Whatever is written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. As you see yourself in that picture, as you watch Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as you see Daniel, as you see those people, and you put yourself in that situation, as God help me to respond like a Daniel. You know, God help fill me in a way that I can change. You know, hearing those things helps. He gave us Hebrews chapter 11, a whole chapter of, of people that you can go back and read their stories. Because faith comes by hearing. And as you hear what God did, and many, many times weak people, like the Gideons, even Mary, you know, the mother of Jesus, she saw her weakness. She saw her, her vulnerability. When you go back and you read those things and, you, and, you, and those become your heroes once again, the word of God has its effects in our life. And if you need other uh, persecuted people to think about, you know, Fox's Books of Martyr, that's a kind of a traditional one that goes back way back hundreds of years ago and goes through various courageous men and women who stood up. There's uh, lots of things on the persecuted church out there. We love to hear James Chaw because we got to hear how he gets delivered, you know, in, in difficult situations. Faith comes by hearing. Number three, store up your treasures in heaven. John chapter 6, verse 21 says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Part of the reason we're afraid is because we love stuff, we love people, we love things in this world too much. You know, we should love people, and, and God gives us lots of things here in this life for gifts, but hold those things lightly. Because if you'd rather stay here with the stuff, you're not really loving God. It says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, 
but from the world. And this world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Don't love this world too much. And for those of us who, as we age, we seem to, it's, it's, it's easier for us. It's really tough when you're young. It is. I thought, Lord, please don't come back until I get married. <laughs> please don't come back until I have a kid, you know. But there are courageous young people. Jim Elliott, he says, he is no fool who gives up what he can't keep to gain what he can't lose. Be wise, be wise. Fourthly, lay down your lives to serve others. You know, in the account of John, the book of John, the last chapter there, Peter, who had denied Jesus three times after saying, I'll die for you. I'll die for you. That night, he denied him three times. And look what Jesus, how he instructed him. John 21, 15 to 17, he said, so he said, Peter, do you love me? And he goes, and he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. If you want to grow in your boldness, in your, in your desire for Jesus, love his people. Lay down your life for his people. Give up your life for his people. Teach people the word of God. Come alongside them and share the truth with them. Encourage them with the word. Care for people. Give your life away. This is kind of the same thing as you faithful in these things. When that comes a time, as it did for Peter, he didn't deny the Lord. He died for the Lord later in his life. Number five, be filled with the Holy Spirit. These disciples had the same knowledge, you know, that they had had. But Jesus said, you know, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you're going to be my witnesses. But wait, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you. There is a power, there's a boldness that we do not have. But was necessary for the early church, was necessary for those disciples. Not just more knowledge, they needed the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. And you see how those lives change. Brothers and sisters, we need to be asking for the Holy Spirit to fill us. If you don't know what we're talking about, we're going to be talking about you know, more this year. We're going to be actually having some uh, teaching on these things. Ask the Holy Spirit. If you're walking into a situation and think, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Holy Spirit, I need your power. I need your boldness. I need your courage. You go off to school every day. Pray, pray over your kids. Kids, pray over yourself. Holy Spirit, fill me. And number six, knowing the presence of God. 
knowing the presence of God. Joshua was about ready to take on what he had heard were like giants. He was leading a nation. He was a new leader. He was just heading into a situation. And so many times in this, in this section, Joshua 1, um, the Lord told him this, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Wherever you go, the Lord your God is with you. Jesus, in sending out his disciples, in Matthew chapter 28, says, All authority in heaven has been given to me. In heaven and on earth, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. And he goes on from there, he says, and I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Do you know God? Do you know how powerful God is? Do you know how much he cares about you? Do you know how powerful he is, how he intervenes, how he's sovereign in circumstances? Do you know those things? Not as a, you know, do you have them filed in your brain someplace, but are you walking in the truth of those things such that your life is, is you walk differently? Because you know, and he's here with me. Brothers and sisters, these are some things I think will help us to know that when the times come and the testing comes, we will be loyal. We will be bold. I hope that we won't be obnoxious because you don't need to be obnoxious. You don't. You can just speak the truth in love and yet be very courageous and be very bold. And God would have us to do those things. So let's pray. Lord, we need your power. We need to remember that you're with us. We need you to transform us, Lord. We live, we live as exiles. We live as exiles. And some of them are already oppressed and they're feeling the, the, the bullying going on. But Lord, you are more than we need. You are great. And you are working in our lives. And you are uh, a God who is powerful and will do great things in and through us. Thank you that we can always trust that whatever happens is not because you have a forsaken us or you don't, live, don't love us. Thank you that you're either going to deliver us from the fire or you're going to be with us in the fire. But ultimately, ultimately, Lord, you are a great Savior who will transform and give us a new bodies and a new place with you in heaven. Thank you, Lord. I forgot to call the worship team. Don't we have a great worship team here? Let's stand and let's worship together.